guilt. What comes to your mind when I say the word guilt? You know, it's one of the things that we as people have wrestled with since the day when we ate that fruit as a race. Psychotherapists have been wrestling with that problem probably since the the dawn of psychotherapy. Uh, Sigmund Freud explained it all very well to us that the guilt that we feel was mostly our parents' fault. And if you blamed it on them, then you would feel better. He probably also tied it to some weird um, adult themes as well. And you know about that kind of stuff. He tied it to your repression of your own expression of your body. And if you just got past all that stuff, then you would feel better. He told us that um, just blame it on your parents, mostly your mother, by the way, uh, mostly all your mother's fault. The joke that you hear psychotherapists say to each other is, "Tell me about your mother," because that just you can just answer all your questions by blaming everything on your mother. Guilt. A Philadelphia lawyer was trying. To trying a case before his before a judge and uh, and jury, he knew it was going well. No, knew it was going badly for his client, who was accused of murder and probably was going to get convicted. So, with a little bit of uh, lawyering antics, he said to the jury, "He said, Your Honor, members of the jury, this case is a farce, and somebody's getting ready to walk through that door." that everyone in this courtroom thinks is dead. So, of course, everyone looked expectantly to the towards the door to see who may come in. And after a few minutes, the lawyer said, okay, I wasn't telling the truth. There's nobody that's going to walk through that door. But I, members of the jury, I just want you to consider before you go to the, the box that you each had enough doubt in your mind to look towards that door. And so the jury was recessed and went back and deliberated for just a few minutes. Came right in. The uh, the head juror, what they was called? The foreman. Sorry, thank you. The foreman of the jury handed the verdict to the judge and the man was pronounced guilty. And the lawyer just couldn't believe it. He said to the foreman, didn't all you look expe- ex- expectantly towards the door? Didn't you have enough doubt that that person might have walked in? The lawyer said, or the foreman said, yes, but your client didn't. The client didn't look towards the door. The client didn't. Wow. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitresses, try the veal. Okay. Your client didn't. Everyone looked towards the door except your client. This is not going to get any better, is it? Guilt. The problem of guilt. A lot of people say things like, you know, you're experiencing false guilt. Um, What they mean by that is, you know, you're feeling guilty about something that you shouldn't. People try to explain away guilt. They, they've told us in, in our country that, you know, it doesn't matter who you're cohabitating with. It doesn't matter if they're the same sex as yours or, or not. It's all good. Don't worry about that. Don't feel guilty. It's more important not to feel guilty. We as Christians must give a clear 
voice to the truth of God as it relates to guilt. What is the problem? I think we've done so far uh, I'm a good job of trying to bring everybody up to speed. Not that you needed it, but on what happened. And let me tell you what happened in the Garden of Eden was God had one law. Don't eat of this fruit. And when you eat of this fruit, the day that you do that, you shall surely die. We ate of the fruit. And I've often said, I, had, I don't believe that Adam and Eve had any idea what they were getting themselves into. They had no idea that children were going to be abused all over the world. People were going to be killed. Wars were going to be started simply by that one disobedience. What happened at that tree that day brought the wrath of God on us. And let me just tell you that you were there. Just think about that from a biological perspective. Everything. There's one human race. We talk about racism. There's one race. We're all part of the same race. Yes, some of us have darker skin or different shape to our eyes. We're in one race. The human race. And everything that makes me me and you you biologically was present in the Garden of Eden. And we're many generations away from that now. But the guilt remains. So God hates sin. God hates for children to be abused. God hates it when somebody takes advantage of someone else. He hates it when your scales aren't balanced. And when you don't do a good job. He hates that. He doesn't want, he doesn't like oppression. He doesn't like how the human race tends to you know, take advantage of other people. He hates it. He hates all those kinds of things. And His wrath is toward us. The beautiful thing that we're going to see today is that He provided a way to justly, to righteously deal with that wrath and bring us into His family. Reconnect with us. Reconnect. Bring us into the love and acceptance, the purity that is part of God. He loved us that much. Now, I want to um, I want to just throw out a big word. Actually, three big words. Five dollar words that you can impress your friends with. What we're going to talk about today is penal substitutionary Atonement. If you're taking notes, that's penal substitutionary atonement. Penal. P-E-N-A-L. Like a penal colony. Jail. Um, something that requires punishment. Rorapente. From literature. You may recognize. Substitutionary. Substitutionary, that word means somebody is taking somebody else's place. In the National League, I think they call it designated hitter. Um, somebody that, in, in baseball, it's somebody, like if you got a pitcher that you want him to concentrate on nothing but pitching and don't want him to, to um, have to bat. You substitute somebody in for him called a designated hitter and he doesn't have to bat. The team gets credit for another ball player playing. So you can let somebody that's an amazing ball player that can bat come in and bat for somebody who can't bat at all. It's a substitution. Let's say that um, I know none of our children would do this, but let's say that you were in a very, very expensive china shop. And one of your children, oh, not one of your children, sorry. I was trying not to call him by his name. Um, but one, a child goes in there and begins to pick things up in this very expensive china shop and begins to break them. 
shove them off the table. Crash! Bam! Smash! Everything's on the floor and millions of dollars later. Uh, the, uh, the manager of the store is going to want somebody to pay for that, right? And if your bank account looks like my bank account, we're in trouble. But, you know, this shop owner needs to have its merchant, his merchandise replaced. What's going to happen? What usually happens in our uh, culture is the, the uh, proprietor of the shop has already taken out an insurance policy, which he's going to turn in all these items, and they're going to get paid for by a substitute because he's not going to get that kind of money out of me for sure. So he has to have a substitute come in and pay for those damages so that he can continue to make his um, living at the shop. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. And the word atonement simply means satisfied, covered, completed, taken care of. Something's been atoned for. So, from a judicial standpoint, a penalty had to be paid. A substitute that the law and the prophets testified, a, a, a substitute apart from the law has been, <coughs> has been made known to us. Someone substituted for us, Jesus Christ, a perfect Lamb of God, and now God's wrath is satisfied. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. That's what we believe at Providence Bible Church. That's what we believe that um, is the only way that you become a, a, a Christian is by taking either Christ's righteousness or trying to do it with your righteousness. And let me tell you something, just like in that china shop, your money's not going to be able to, your money's not going to be good enough. It's not going to pay the price. All the good works in the world that you do is not going to pay back the price for sin. You need a substitute. And that substitute is Jesus Christ. I want to take just a second and kind of review some illustrations out that give us a hint about what's going to happen. Um, first one was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They took the fruit. They realized immediately that they were naked and attempted to sow some fig leaves together. Um, you got your first fruit of the loom situation going on. Um, obviously, that wasn't good enough. God had to, I guess, kill an animal because He provided them skins to wear, to cover them, to cover their nakedness, their shame. It moves, moves quickly on in the Bible. There are just so many illustrations of what we're talking about over and over again. It, it, what occurs to me too, and I forgot to tell you this up front, was I would just I just took a trip to Mexico and listened to a lot of the Mayan uh, history from people who claimed to be of Mayan descent, and got to tour some pyramids and and um, look at different hieroglyphics, and they unfolded these stories about human sacrifice. You know, sometimes enemy combatants were sacrificed in the uh, early on in the rainy season to make it rain. And sometimes their own people were sacrificed um, as a method of expiating, satisfying taking care of the wrath of God. Because if you didn't do that, in the Mayan culture, it's believed that the gods might withhold rain. Or they might withhold fertility. 
if that blood wasn't shed. Blood, the idea of having blood shed for us in a substitutionary manner is in many, many cultures all over this globe. You know, you take a culture like the Mayans, very violent, very violent, very unnecessary. Their, their, their sacrifices didn't meet the requirements of the Bible of the substitutionary requirements of the Bible. But they understood the idea that that wrath must be satisfied. Look at the ark. You know, God proclaimed that the whole earth was so evil that He needed to destroy it. And yet, as a covering, as a protection for the earth, He gave the ark. Sodom and Gomorrah was to be destroyed by God's wrath. God had heard how evil and wicked Sodom was. But do you realize that for ten people, had there been ten righteous people in Sodom, that city would have been spared. We come up to Moses, and we already talked about that this morning. He gave us the Passover. God came through Egypt and said, I am going to destroy every firstborn of man and beast and only if you slay a lamb and splatter its blood on the doorposts of your house with a hyssop branch and lots of other instructions Will you satisfy me when I come through to take children? And everyone in Egypt died. Every firstborn in Egypt died. Firstborn of cattle died in Egypt. But the children of Israel were passed over. Go with me for a minute to your Bibles. And as I thought about this, my goodness, to do a proper lesson on this would take <laughs> ten weeks or ten months, I don't know, uh, a study through the book of Leviticus, for example, of all the burnt offerings and the sin offerings, the guilt offerings that, that God laid out for us. But I do want to take some time just, if I can briefly go through Leviticus. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus. I'm just going to pull out one chapter. I'm going to pull out chapter 16. Um, also, chapters the first few chapters in Leviticus really are good highlights of, of uh, God's plan as it relates to this. Leviticus chapter 16. Let's start down in verse 6. After he talks about how to cleanse himself to be able to offer this sacrifice, it says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and his house. And he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meetings. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azel. Aaron, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take the censer full of coals of the fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put incense on the fire before the Lord 
that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood and sprinkle it on his finger in front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of all the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may enter the tent of the meeting from the time that he enters to make atonement into the place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of all the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place and for the tent of meeting and for the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of a goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. This goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his water, and talks, bathe his body. talks about... Um, well, let me just keep reading. Shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar and anyone who lets the goat go to Azel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself. You shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on that day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and, the consecra and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute for you forever that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So in the prophets we get a real clear picture of, of two things there as one, the scapegoat for the people. All the sins of the people placed on the goat and an offering, a violent offering to atone for people's sins. Let's skip over into the prophets. There's, there's something from the law. Let's go to the prophets. Let's go to Isaiah 53. I should be in there with them, shouldn't I? It's a rough crowd. Isaiah 53. 
you're going to find a good solid picture of the, the atonement once and for all atonement right here in Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities therefore i will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressions Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So this is prophesied about Jesus Christ long before Jesus was here on the earth. The prophets bear witness to the atonement. Many of you have probably seen some of Hollywood's attempts to, to grasp the suffering of Christ. Well, let me tell you, they didn't come close. While I haven't seen those films, the physical suffering, emphasizing the physical suffering of Christ is nothing compared to the emotional and spiritual consequences. I fully believe that He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. And I, I've often used the illustration that if you were to take... You know when you made a mistake? You know that time when you made a mistake in your life? and you really made a mistake, and you were really guilty, and you knew you shouldn't have done it, but you did it anyway. You know how you felt at that moment? Just you. Let's take all the moments of your life, which, if you're like me, are probably many. If you took all the moments of your life when you felt the weight of your guilt and shame, and let's just take all those and all that feeling and all that spiritual significance and place it on you at one time. I mean, I think your heart would beat out of your chest. You'd have the, the mother of all panic attacks. I mean, you may, you may just die with your own guilt, the feeling of your own guilt and all your shame. That, for 7 billion, maybe 14 billion, I don't know, maybe 100 billion people was placed on Christ at the cross. He bore our grief. He bore our suffering. And I think that was the true pain of the cross. And Isaiah, years and years before it happened, gives us so many tidbits about that. 
Let me move, though, to the New Testament and tell you what New Testament authors, authors following the Gospel account of Jesus' crucifixion, we could go through that. I'm not going to do that today. Uh, but following that, let's go to Romans chapter 3. Paul goes through, you know, my topic is not sin and depravity. That was last week. But I mean, if you catch this argument from Paul, he just got finished saying their throats are open graves. You know, the poison of vipers is on their tongues, quoting from Psalms, different places in the Psalms. And he's making the case that there is no one that's righteous. We are all guilty. Sorry, Siggy. We are all guilty. We have real guilt that we have to deal with. Um, and that's the, that's the, um, that's the, that's his argument that he's following in Romans chapter 3. And then in verse 9, he turns a corner and, and I'm sorry, not verse 9. In verse um, 21, he turns a corner and says, but now the righteousness of God has made, been made, has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, I would like to have ten weeks just to talk about those few verses. But but grasp the concept. He's saying that the law and the prophets testify to this idea that you can be justified apart from the law. You don't have to keep all the law. How many of how many people in this room have kept the law since they were a child? Okay, we don't have very many dishonest people, it doesn't look like. You know, if you break one, you're guilty of the whole thing. You've sinned against the law. So if you are trying to justify yourself, by your own good behavior, by your own good works, by your own riches, by your own success, by your own fame, whatever it is you know that you feel like is going to justify you in front of God. It's where we get the word sin. What does the word sin mean? Literally. Falling short. When we were at Alpine before, um, one of the things that um, I told the kids a Bible story and had all the children stand up there by the pond. You remember this, Isabel? Had all the kids stand up by the pond and I said, you've got to throw this rock to the other side of the pond. Well, you know, Jack, whoosh, bloop, Josiah, whoosh, bloop, in fact, I think, I don't know, one of the bigger boys like Wilson got it almost halfway across the pond. That was great. What was the problem? Still short. So, I had my son Noah come up, pick up a rock about, about yay big. I said, you throw this rock across the pond. Okay? So, he backed up and in his characteristic way flung the rock and to the kid's joy he made it all the way across to the road uh, on the other side of Alpine. Then I told the children 
you can either take your throw or Noah's throw. You can have Noah stand in and substitute. You can trade your throw in for his. They quickly chose Noah's. And we've got to realize that no matter how good we are, we fall short. No matter if we're missionaries in Africa or on the streets of Calcutta and write wonderfully profound things, if we crawl all the way to the temple to our legs are bleeding and we pray many prayers, it's not good enough. No matter how hard you try, we need a substitute. And that substitute is found apart from the law. Faith in Christ Jesus. Let me just get us to look quickly at a couple more references um, in the New Testament. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He's, uh, just to set the context, um, Paul's pretty frustrated with people who are trying to observe the law as a justification for their sins. And he's basically saying that, they're, that those kind of people are under the, under the tutelage of witches. They, he doesn't like that at all. For all, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a cursed. Are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, quote from Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It doesn't have anything to do with the law. You're not going to be justified. No flesh will be justified by keeping the law. You will fall short. You need penal, substitutionary atonement. You need someone to stand in for you. And let's turn finally Jason's already stolen my thunder which I'm quite pleased with by the way she did have my outline ahead of time let's go we've gone from the law the prophets I skipped over the Gospels, but understanding that you know what's written in there as far as the death of Jesus Christ. We've gone to the epistles. Now let's go to the end of time. And I just want to read an excerpt since Jason's already read it and, and beautifully called us to worship through this passage. This is We are time traveling with John here. We are seeing into our own future. So we've got the past that bears testimony. We've got the present day teaching and we have the future. Who is worthy? Revelation chapter 5. The rev- in, in fact, you know, remember this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of this book. We call it Revelations, but it's not. Revelations. It's not Walmart's. It's not the internet's. 
um, a lot of those things that we we do wrong around here. This is one revelation. This is one unveiling. This is one, let me show you this. One person is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 5, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? I don't know what it's going to be like to be there. I assume that it's going to be a pretty big stadium if we're going to get that many people in there. But this is a real event. This is a real thing that happens in our history. And I say our history after we're in the eternal state. We're going to look back at this as history. This is true fact. This is better documented. I mean, this is a more complete documentation of what happened than the fact that Abraham Lincoln was the President of the United States. This is true. This is happening in our future. It has happened. John began to weep loudly because no one was found to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The lamb that was slain. The Passover lamb. The lamb of the new covenant has died in our place. Now you can try to justify yourself if you want to. In fact, we've all got Pharisee in us. We all try to justify ourselves. But there is a judicial judgment that's waiting in our future where everybody's opinion is not going to be given the same weight. Where diversity is not valued. Where the truth will reign supreme. And where the only thing that will matter is whether or not you have expressed faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and your sins have satisfied, your sin against God has been satisfied by Christ's sacrifice, violent death on the cross. That's the only thing that's going to matter. It's not going to matter what brand of clothes you wear. It's not going to matter what you drive. It's not going to matter if you're, don't, if you're not from West Virginia, as important as that is. That's not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is have you accepted the penal, substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ for your sins? And if you have, it's good. You will live and reign according to these verses with God forever. And if you haven't, you will continue to be eternally separated from God. And, and eternally separated from God's presence. Like right now, we have 
you can be an atheist. You can flaunt whatever your theory is about life. You can flaunt it. I mean, we've got free speech in this country. You can get up on television. You can have bright white teeth and a flippy hairstyle. You can say whatever you want right now. And people will go, oh, isn't he great? Oh, I really like him. He's really representing us. And you can, you know, and that, that works right now. And the reason that works is because God's presence is here. There are Christians here. His Spirit is alive and active. He's placed the Son. But there's a day in which people who have not expressed faith in Christ will be completely separated from God's mercy and His grace and His goodness and His light and His heat. And they're going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth in darkness and fire and eternal punishment. Because there is absolute truth. And the most important truth that you can hold on to in your life is that you can either try it yourself or get a substitute. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross makes that possible. And there's nothing else. There's really nothing else that matters. Jason, I'd love for you to, if you wouldn't mind, to come up and close us with a with one of your songs from this morning, real quick. Um, everybody's got a theory. Let me just reinforce this. Every while they're while they're coming, everybody's got a theory about how you deal with guilt. Some people. You know, in, in, in the Mayan culture, men were sacrificed. Blood was spilled. They played ball games where they um, killed the victor, in fact. Which, that's kind of bad, but anyway. Killed the victor of the ball game. They killed the MVP every year um, to celebrate... God and stuff. I don't know. And there are people like Sigmund Freud who will say, you know, it's all your mother's fault. If you hadn't had the mother that you had, then you wouldn't be this way. So just stop worrying about it and place that guilt on your mother and you'll be okay. Um, yeah, and you're just so repressed. you just got so many ideas. You just need to let it out and just do whatever the heck you want to. Then you won't feel guilt. Lots of theories. Let me just say, there's only one theory that stands the test of time. There's only one truth that matters. And it's who can open the seals. Because that's what's going to be important. And, and let me tell you, good news. Jesus Christ has paid the price. He has made atonement. And He is worthy to open the scrolls. And to open the seals. And on that day, you're going to be wanted. You're going to want to be associated with him through substitutionary atonement. Let's stand up together.
thankful this morning for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, which allows us access to you, which allows us to know security, to know that we don't have to live in our sin, that we can have that paid for and be free of guilt before you, God. And we're thankful for this morning that you would work in our hearts, build us up as your church, your body, this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name.